this episode, I talk with the former editor-in-chief of Dread Central, Josh Millikan. Josh has just released his first novel, Deeper Than Hell, through Encyclopocalypse Publications. I had a great time talking with Josh, and I hope you enjoy. But before I get into the episode, don't forget to check out my brothers of the podcast Apocalypse. Into the Necrosphere, Everything Went Black, and the Necromaniacs podcast. Uh, definitely don't want to miss out on those. So thanks, and uh, once again, hope you enjoy. All right, Josh. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Hell yeah. Thanks for having me. I've also got to thank Sean of Encyclopocalypse for setting this up. So that was really cool of him. Yeah, Sean, uh, shout outs to him, man. He's been an integral for me through this whole process, you know, and as a first time novelist, uh, having someone like Sean to work with and an imprint like Encyclopocalypse to back me up. So your dream come true. Yeah, he's super cool. Um, I dealt with him, I think uh, during COVID, um, he sent me um, the novelization of Wishmaster and I'm a huge fucking Wishmaster fan and um, I reviewed it on my website and stuff and fucking loved it. And I've been following them since like all the cool shit he's been doing. Oh yeah, man. He he's been doing some great stuff. You know, he and I went out to a, a book fair uh, a couple of months ago, and we met Peter Atkins. And then uh, there was a, a showing of Wishmaster. I, I couldn't make it, but Sean went out to that with uh, his son and had a great time at that. Uh, but yeah, I love what Encyclopocalypse does. You know, uh, having novelizations and original fiction, it really puts them like right in the middle of you know literature and cinematography and cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, which is kind of like where I am, because, you know, uh, before I uh, released this novel, uh, which comes out on June 14th, you know, most people know me as a journalist. So, you know, I, I kind of exist right in between uh, film and cin- er, film and literature, you know, now that I'm the new kid on the block in, in the book club. Right. Yeah. Because before this, you were the editor in chief of uh what was it? Uh, Dread Central, right? Yeah, yeah. And before that, I was the managing editor. And before that, I was a contributor. So uh, I spent a good four or five years at Dread Central uh, and just went on a hiatus uh, when my son was born seven months ago. And then I just decided to uh, go in a new direction. And, you know, Deeper Than Hell was actually written before I started working for Dread Central. The The original manuscript is written back when Obama was still president. So, you know, uh, I wanted to do something more, uh, you know, on my terms and on my timeline. So I dusted it off and, you know, didn't have to shop it around too long before I met Sean, who uh, has just been such a great support this whole time. That's killer. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Deeper Than Hell without giving out any spoilers? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, I've always been really uh, interested in the idea of, uh, you know, people who live underground either on purpose or because they're homeless or runaways or something, uh, you know, really uh, love the movie Chud. So, you know, this is a movie about uh, a couple guys who uh, live in a tunnel under Las Vegas. Uh, they're down on their luck. They're addicted to drugs. Uh, one of them kind of gets it into his head that uh, there are uh, magical or not, not necessarily magical. He just gets it in his head that there are societies living underground, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that we just don't know about them, that, you know, they've probably been down there for thousands of years. And he kind of proposes this plan where they uh, just travel downwards and, you know, hopefully arrive at this utopia nirvana uh, place where you know they'll just be the happiest drug addicts in the world it, it's it's 
bizarre. Um, but anyway, metaphorically, it's about addiction. Uh, it's about, you know, you fall down one hole and then instead of climbing out, you fall down another hole and you fall down another hole. Um, but I really, I really go everywhere in, in this novel in terms of genre. Uh, each chapter, I feel, kind of uh, represents a different genre of horror. There's definitely a body horror chapter and there's definitely a sci-fi chapter. And then by the end, it gets into real uh, dark fantasy, heavily inspired by William S. Burroughs and Clive Barker. Oh, so nice. uh, yeah, so that that's kind of um, the 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 bulk of it. That's killer. The, the inspiration from Clyde Barker is huge for me because he's one of my favorite authors, and I I just love Clyde Barker as a person too. I mean, he's like a magical dude, you know. Yeah, he really is. You know, I, I saw him right before the pandemic at Shockfest in Vegas. Uh, I love that he's still getting out and about. And you know, uh, there's a connection to Encyclopocalypse. Mark Miller, who runs Encyclopocalypse used to be uh, the head of Clive Barker's imprint, Seraphin. So oh. you know, he's in that world. He did some of the boom Hellraiser graphic novels. Some of those are written by him. So, oh, you know, there's like a Hellraiser connection to um, the Encyclopocalypse. Uh, and they, you know, work with Peter Atkins, who wrote some of the best Hellraiser sequels. And Doug Bradley did some narration, you know, the actor who plays Pinhead. So... Mm. Uh, it just feels really great to to have made something so clearly inspired by Clive Barker and be someplace where uh, his sensibilities are understood and appreciated. Yeah, most definitely. Um, have you ever got to like speak to him for a, a good bit of time or? Unfortunately, no. I mean, that's uh, kind of a bucket list for me. Maybe I'll get to him one of these days. Yeah, same here. Um, I've been trying to get in communication with him for a while now, but it's not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> you know, I send emails out. Yeah. yeah, he's eccentric and he's private, you know, so uh, good luck to both of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we um, my former band, we wrote a whole album that was pretty much dedicated to Barker. It was uh, inspired from the Great and Secret show, which is probably my favorite Clyde Barker book. And so we did a whole album that was around that, you know, I was like, man, I want to I'm going to find him and, you know, at least send him the albums, you know, you know, see what he thinks of, you know, it's metal and stuff. I'm sure yeah. he'll appreciate it. So. I did get him. I don't know if it was him. It was somebody on Twitter. It could be somebody that was running his page at the time. This is many years ago. They liked it, but I never got any further than that. But <laughs> yeah, um, him and uh, Mick Garris did a really killer episode on uh, the, por- the postmortem podcast. Uh, not too. Oh long. man, such a wonderful episode! And you know, uh, postmortem is part of the Dread Central podcast network. So you know, when I was still working for Dread Central, Mick and I were sometimes in communication weekly. Uh, he's such a great guy and postmortem is the best horror podcast on the planet right now. No offense, but I mean, no, it, it really is. I mean, he's, he's so elite. He's a God. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, um, he gave a really cool blurb for the book as well. He read it and, uh, you know, said some really kind words. So, you know, hopefully that'll give it a little boost as well when it comes out. Did you have any other like, uh, novels that inspired you for this novel? Um, I mean, it, not really. I mean, I feel like it was much more inspired by movies than uh, literature. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it was it was kind of like, you know, I was really inspired by everything uh, and, and not just uh, fiction, but, um, you know, fringe science uh, and then conspiracy theories and even, even cryptids, you know, make appearances and in, in Deeper Than Hell. So, 
I mean, it really kind of encompasses, you know, a huge uh, amount of what we consider horror, you know, and, and the horror genre. Um, so, you know, I think there's really something in there for everyone, you know, it, it really tries to cover a lot of area and it's, it's a pretty slim read, uh, all in all, you know, um, it's longer than a novella, but, but not much, mm-hmm. uh, you, you could knock it out in one or two sittings and I hope people will, I hope they'll just immerse themselves in it. Uh, cause you know, people have been describing it as psychedelic horror and I just love that because it is, you know, uh, it is psychedelic. It, it's almost fractal in the way it breaks off and in the areas it explores. And, you know, it has that kind of a uh, sensibility that, you know, uh, anything could pop up next. Right. I, I love the description of that, especially a psychedelic horror. That reminds me a lot of like the movie Mandy, which is my favorite film. I, oh, I definitely classify this like fucking psychedelic horror, you know, occult greatness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how long was the whole, I know you said you've been writing this novel for a very long time, but like, if you were to guesstimate what, how long was the process total? Well, I'll tell you, cause it's kind of an interesting story. I had entered a contest to write a serial, uh, a serialized story for a website, uh, that, uh, you know, a literary website. And they said at the end of 12 months, maybe we'll publish it as a novel. So, you know, uh, they said to enter, to be considered, you know, send us a synopsis. So I sent them a synopsis and they're like, great, you made it to the semifinals. Now write the first chapter and give us a complete outline. So I wrote the first chapter and I gave them a complete outline and I didn't uh, ultimately get selected. I wasn't one of the the authors that they picked, but I had visualized it so much that I decided to knock it out. And kind of as an exercise, I tried to give myself a month for each chapter. Uh, And then no matter how good or bad I thought the chapter really was, I was going to move on to the next chapter. I used all the parameters that they had set. You know, each chapter was going to be between 3,000 and 5,000 words. And, you know, I was, I was going to do one a month, set myself on that timeline. And, you know, there were some months where I just didn't get around to it. I took two months. But I think I wrote it all uh, over the course of maybe 14 or 15 months. Okay. That's cool. That's not too yeah, bad. It gave, a, it gave me a chance to really immerse myself in the genre of each chapter, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you you took your time and you know you got it the way you want it. You know, you weren't weren't rushed or nothing. Yeah, I wasn't rushed, but you know what? Like, the, it really helped. Like having these like artificial parameters. You know, it's like I had tried writing novels a couple times before, and I just gotten too far out in the weeds. You know, I didn't have an outline, and I just started at the beginning and figured I'd be done when I'm done. But you know, you, you kind of don't know what to include, and you just end up including everything and. And then, yeah, like I said, it, it was like getting lost in the weeds. But, you know, having this outline that I had made and working within these parameters uh, just made me sharpen it up. And ultimately, I think it's better for it. Have you um, ever read the book on writing from uh, Stephen King? I haven't. Yeah. People say it's like a gold mine for writing. And from what I understand, um, from the little bit I've read from it and stuff and seen some like talks with Stephen King is uh, he doesn't go in with an outline, supposedly. I'm like, mm-hmm. how in the hell do you do that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can understand because like I said, I tried it a couple times and, you know, uh, I figured, you know, I just include everything and I can go uh, edit it and take things out that are pointless and add things that I don't quite remember. And I wasn't even really editing as I went. I was, you know, trying to not edit myself and just push forward, forward. And uh, like I said, I, I was just getting too far out there. Right. And I'm sure being super busy and stuff with doing Dread Central stuff and, you know, and this, I mean, probably took up a lot of your time, too. So, yeah, I mean, when I when I uh, rose in the ranks at Dread Central from the time I was a managing editor, 
you know, that was my, my sole focus, you know, it was just the website and all my own personal creative endeavors took a back seat. Uh, and it was only when, you know, I had this break, uh, hiatus, paternity leave, sabbatical, call it what you will, that, uh, you know, I put a lot of other irons in the fire. I thought like, what am I going to do for this next chapter of my life? You know, uh, I'm married now, fatherhood, uh, you know, uh, what's next? I, I spent a good decade in, in horror journalism, and I think I had a great tenure at it. You know, I, I think uh, that's kind of about uh, about enough. You know, uh, which isn't to say I'm going to leave horror journalism behind. I'm still going to write nonfiction and biographies and I'll still contribute to uh, uh, websites, you know, uh, along the way. But I, I really like this book world I'm in right now. That's killer. And um, you said it comes out in June. So that means you hopefully be able to do some like uh, hitting the uh, cons and all that stuff, possibly. I mean, we'll see. You know, we're taking it kind of slow. We have a. Um, a signing event that we're going to do at Dark Delicacies in Burbank uh, mm-hmm. in mid-July. Uh, we, we don't have all the details out there yet, so I don't want to give the date. But if folks follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Milliken, M-I-L-L-I-C-A-N, I'll give you all the updates. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to start with that and then kind of just see where it goes. And the great thing is now, you know, uh, so many great podcasts like yours, you know, uh, I, I feel kind of like I'm on tour and I haven't left my office. That's killer. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, like the horror podcast thing has really boomed in the past five years or so, like so many killer horror podcasts out and, you know, you can get your voice heard, you know, so many different ways now. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, at at Dread Central, I was the interviewer, you know, so I was always kind of like, you know, you understand, you you, kind of get a little stressed out. You're like, is this interview going to go well? What's this guy going to be like? You know, am I going to have to like pull stuff out of them, you know, so it's so nice to be on the other end of it and have you asking me questions and me just being able to uh, stream a conscious, you know? No, it's definitely a lot easier to be on the other side for sure. Cause I've been on. Right, a that's why I'm podcasts. loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. It doesn't feel like work at all. You know, I'll do, I'll do all the podcasts, bring it on. Yeah. I've only had like maybe a couple that I, you know, felt kind of like, uh, you know, it's good, but I'm kind of you know, forcing a little bit, but all have been pretty smooth, thankfully, so far, you know, I still got a lot more to do, so. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard some horror stories from certain people about some people they had on their podcast or just interviewing for like a magazine or something and stuff. I'm like, oh, hopefully I never encounter that, or at least not anytime soon. Oh, man, I was at a convention and I was moderating a panel. And I'm not going to say who it was because she was an absolute mess, but it was it was a screen queens panel and <laughs> I had some wonderful guests. <laughs> and then this one woman uh, who was in a, a main staple horror franchise in the 80s, uh, a victim of a very iconic uh, uh, slasher. And, you know, I asked her a question and it was really just kind of obvious that she had kind of like lost it on meth, you know, and she she started just going on and on and kind of talking about how, like, you know, she did nudity in the film, even though she was underage. And, you know, it was it was kind of like I really want to just put the brakes on it. it. It was it was wild, man. It was wild. Yeah, I bet you come across some crazy ass wild stories in your time of doing your stuff. You know, you get, well, like what's some of your like the craziest shit you ever encountered? I mean, that was it. You know, uh, <laughs> it was kind of like, wow, what did you just say? You know, no one understood her. And I had to kind of like be like, OK, OK. Uh, and then next I'll ask, uh, you know, Kelly Malone, you know, what, what's going on? Uh, but anyway, uh, that was wild. Um, 
you know, at the same convention, uh, it was Colt Classic Convention in Bastrop, Texas, one of the, the best. It's not huge. It's downright small, but it feels huge with the community and, and the amount of intense, wonderful uh, stuff they provide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a lot of uh, uh, moderating for that one, and there was just a lot of thinking on my feet, you know, that I mean, you of everyone knows, you know, because you, you want to have set questions, but you also want things to be organic and natural. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, you don't want to have just a whole bunch of uh, questions written out there and like, oh, going from here and there. And when I first started podcasting, I, I had more questions than I had anything else. So it wasn't quite as organic. But, you know, as I've been doing this longer, I've gotten better with it. And I took mix, mix advice on that mix, like the slightly conversation flow, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what he says goes because he is the master of horror. So that's right. <laughs> the founder of the masters of horror. Yeah, and one of the nicest dudes ever. When I had, um, when I talked to him, what was it a few months ago? I was just amazed how nice he was. I, like he was everything I thought he would be. You know, it was like so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like a vegan, and he never did any drugs. He looks like such a hippie, but he's such a straight dude. I love it. Yeah, yeah. He's he hasn't done none of that stuff, and yeah, he's in really good health, and you know, eats right and stuff, and uh. I think we're kind of on a similar boat because I don't do any drugs and I don't really drink at all. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And we got long hair. So I'm like, we yeah. can just, you know, go with that. I'm like, cool, really long hair, hard guys. <laughs> but yeah, he's, uh, Mick is really fucking cool. Um, who's some of like, like the top people you've met that really have impressed you over the years? I mean, uh, like I said, Mick Garris, you know, uh, that we both agree on, you know, Jen and Sylvia Saska, uh, I met them, you know, right when they were uh, coming up in their careers, uh, you know, right around the time American Mary came out. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just starting out as a journalist, and that was their first film that really broke through. They had done a film before that, Dead Hooker in a Trunk, and I had actually been following since following them since then. So I was really excited for American Mary. You know, uh, every time I would write an article about them, even before I was working for Dread Central, uh, just doing my own blog or a really small horror site, one of them would always write me and thank me for the press, you know, every single time, even though I was like a nobody, you know, uh, and that's just always been really great about them. And I met the ladies uh, 2018, I think, at a festival, maybe 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then every time they're in L.A., we've just uh, really loved hanging out and connecting. Uh, I honestly consider them friends. Uh, they'll like text me on my birthday every year, you know, and uh, when this pandemic's over, when they're back in L.A., I, I can't wait to hang out with them. Yeah, super cool. I've only seen nothing but good things from them. And I love American Mary's great. Film. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Rabbit, the remake of David Cronenberg's Rabbit. I, I don't know what happened with that because it's so good. Uh, and it was it just flew under everybody's radar. It just didn't make the splash it needed to. I mean, it had such a great ending. It was such a wonderful uh, a tribute to David Cronenberg, who's having his own renaissance right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Rabbit, you know, the Saska Sisters Rabbit, you really need to go back and check that out, people. Yeah, I, I agree on that. Th- that came out during the pandemic, like the first start of it, right? Maybe that's why it went under the radar so heavy. I don't really know. You know, there there are some theories, but uh, yeah, I think it was Shout Studios that ultimately uh, was their distributor. And, uh, you know, I, I think their plans for a big theatrical just didn't materialize for some reason. You know, it came out like really towards the end of the year. I think we're talking about 2019, you know, so this is, you know, 
or maybe even 2018. I, I don't remember. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, whatever year it came out, it, it came out towards the end of the year. And I think that people just missed it. Yeah, I, I remember enjoying it. I've, I've seen it once. I, I usually, I'm not a big on watching movies over and over. I, I like to give it time to breathe, you know what I mean? So, And first time I watched, I enjoyed it. So I think I but, may have reviewed it on my website. I, I don't remember. It's great. I mean, and it's it's great multiple times because you take uh, different things away from it in different times. You know, you, one time you're just really immersed in the body horror and then another time you can really think about the themes that they bring into it. You know, the, the whole idea of beauty as a disease. It's it's just fascinating. Um, speaking on like, you know, the remake of the rabbit and all that stuff. Uh, what are some of your favorites of like the past 10 years or so movie wise? Favorite, favorite remakes? Uh, it, remakes or just originals either or both well i mean in terms of remakes and probably uh, remake or not i love uh fede alvarez's evil dead uh, 2013 oh, yeah. I, I love it i mean I, i'm so bummed that mia never got a sequel and that that tangent of the evil dead universe just uh stagnated I, it was so awesome that was a, a remake done right in every respect because uh it, it was of its own it paid tribute to its source and it, it didn't take anything away from the source you can still go back and love and appreciate all the evil dead movies without saying this remake is better or worse and you know they could have just connected it to the same universe for continuity i'm so disappointed that uh that tangent uh, uh just kind of uh withered on the vine but i guess they have the new one coming out evil dead rises Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'll be excited to see that and to see if, you know, it, I'm just overreacting and to see if uh, the course is still true. Yeah, I hope it is because, uh, yeah, that Evil Dead remake was great. And um, seeing it in the theaters was really cool because uh, the scene where um takes out the turkey, was, I think it's the turkey saw, the saw of the arm and stuff. Like people yes. are like, walking out the movie theater. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, it was great. I saw it in the theater, too. And let me tell you something. I went in expecting to hate it. You know, I went in be, uh, on opening night because I was a horror journalist and I was going to review it for whatever site I was writing for at the time. And I was ready to just savage it. Like, how dare you remake Evil Dead? But it was great. You know, I, I freaking loved it. And, uh, you know, I still do. Uh, you know, another movie, you know, you said what movies the last few years. I saw Hereditary at uh, Fantastic Fest a few months before it came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, and, and even still now, I think it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. I really do. And I don't know if that's because I saw it in a theater before there was any expectation. But, uh, you know, it, it was like seriously like, you know, an immersive experience. And it, it just really like rocked me to the core. Couldn't believe it. You know, so, yeah, I still think it's the scariest movie ever made. It's super dark, man, and it just gradually just gets like fucking so intense, especially towards the very end where everything just like you know boils down to fucking craziness, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, you know that Act One spoiler. It's almost safe to talk about because it's been out for so many years now. But I won't. But you know what happens in Act One that blows everyone's mind? When that yeah. happened, the the woman sitting next to me, I didn't know her. You know, it was a festival. The woman sitting next to me like drew her knees up to her chest and just like buried her face. She was just like traumatized and like I'm a sensitive person, you know, even a little empathic and like I felt her trauma and it like it doubly rocked me, you know, not only, you know, the, the traumatic thing that you witness on the screen, but like feeling someone else just be like wrecked by it. You know, it was like, wow. Yeah, I, I, I could totally feel that with her. <laughs> I saw that. Scene, I was like, whoa, holy shit. Where'd that come from? <laughs> I was like, right, oh, right. Brutal.
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Heredity uh, is is damn good film. It's definitely one of the scariest ones out there. You know, I would put it maybe yeah. in the same like category with like the exorcist. Uh, That's know. what I would exactly. I'd say, you know, scary is scarier than the exorcist. You know, you got a lot of people nowadays who will be like, Oh, the exorcist isn't even scary. But it's like, shut up. You know, too young or too jaded. I don't know. But um, one of the things I loved about hereditary were those scenes where everything's kind of like normal you know, it's like quiet, but then you start noticing things in the shadows, you know, mm-hmm. and again, I don't want to be a spoiler, but there's the one scene where the sun kind of like sits up in bed in his room and it's dark and, you know, it's only after like four or five seconds that you see there's something in the shadows and you can feel people in the theater noticing it at different times. Like someone over here would gasp, someone over here would, you know, be startled, you know, and then slowly like everyone sees it and it's just like, whoa fantastic shit fantastic cinematography yeah that's the shit that gets me man it's the subtle stuff you know it's not like the blood and gore and you're thrown in your face wherever that scares me I'm, I'm not really scared by film that's why uh the exorcist holds a big thing with me just because it's this pure like kind of it's terrifying almost you know and it still holds up till this you know to this day and yeah. it's the subtleties man like to really get me the thing that always scared me most about the exorcist even though like I'm not religious, I'm not uh, a Catholic or Christian, uh, but the thing that always really scared me about The Exorcist was it seemed to imply that it didn't matter how good you were, because Reagan was just like a normal, sweet little girl, and like something super terrible happened to her. It was just like, for me, what's terrifying about The Exorcist is it says like really bad things can happen to really good people, and that's just sad and terrifying. Oh yeah, most definitely. It's very true. Um, I got to witness that it was on a Halloween many, many years ago. They did an um, outside movie theater type deal. It wasn't a drive-in movie theater, just uh, a place doing a little special thing for Halloween. And they were showing extras. It's outside. And we had there's like at least three or four hundred people out there. And their reaction said it all, man. I was like, yeah, this one still hits hard for people. <laughs> right. You know, I saw in the theater when uh, this is probably like 20 years ago now. They're, they came out with the version you haven't seen, you know, with a few things added in the the stair staircase crab walk and you know a couple other uh, subliminal flashes of the pazuzu face or whatever but yeah i saw it in the theater too and for me yeah it absolutely still held up you know there's a palpable sense of dread in the audience and you know you, you feel like you're right in that room as that exorcism is going down yeah it, yeah it's the best to experience either alone in the dark or like i said with a whole bunch of people just to feel that terror you know Absolutely. Absolutely. My, um, I let my dad borrow the DVD many years ago. He's like, I haven't seen Exorcist since I was a kid. He's like, it used to scare the shit out of me. I'm like, cool, let's see if it still scares you. So, you know, I let him borrow the DVD. He tells me the next day, yeah, I was watching it and in the other room, I heard something fall down and stuff. So I turned it off. <laughs> that's funny. And he saw it originally in theaters as a kid when it came out. So that's pretty fucking cool. You know, it's crazy because like, you know, uh, I don't, I don't really believe in the supernatural. You know, I feel like if ghosts were real, we'd have them on, we'd have them on camera by now, you know, it it would be on CNN and we wouldn't be arguing about it by now, you know, but at the same time, like supernatural horror movie gets, they, they get me in a way, you know, that is my favorite genre, you know, like the conjuring movies, you know, I, I don't believe that shit in a million years, but those movies scare me. And, you know, sometimes being alone after seeing a film like that can be difficult. Yeah, um, speaking of like The Conjuring or in that universe sort of, uh, one second, having a, I'm trying to think of the film talking about there. Well, actually, the first Conjuring was really good. That, I like the first and the second one a lot. I like the, 
uh, what do you call him? The uh, the big tall. He has a certain name they used him in the second Conjuring movie. Uh, the, big uh, the Crooked Man. Crooked Man, yeah. And find out that yeah. wasn't CGI. That was an actor doing that. I was like, oh fuck, it, you can scare him. It's Javier Potet. Uh, yeah. You know, he's he's been in a bunch of things. Uh, he he was one of the ghosts in Crimson Peak. He was Mama in Mama. And uh, Rick. Yeah, Crimson and he was Rick, the yeah. the Medeiros girl in Wreck. You're absolutely right. So he's he's done all these crazy body horror things. You know, that's something I'm so disappointed that, you know, of all the Conjuring characters who I wish would get a spinoff, that's definitely one of them. But, you know, I love The Nun, too, and I'm stoked that they're making The Nun a sequel to The Nun as well. Yeah, her character's fucking evil as shit, man. Oh. She's just, like, the nicest fucking person, too. Which Bonnie so Aarons, have you interviewed her? Oh, yeah, I talked to her, uh, I think it was this year, earlier this year, I got to talk with Bonnie. We've been um, stayed in contact since then, like, we'll send each other text messages or, you know, Facebook messages and stuff. And yeah, me she's too. She's the nicest person. <laughs> I interviewed her for uh, Jacob's wife, and she was just, she's a nut. She was so fun. It was a live stream, so it was like flying by the seat of her pants, and, you know, Barbara was there, Barbara Crampton was there, and Travis Stevens was there, too. I almost wished it was just the two of us, because she's a nut. She's so fun to talk to. Yeah, I want to talk to her again. It was uh, me, her, and uh, Chrissy Fox. We are having a conversation about um, the new podcast that was coming out and a few other things, going over some of their new films and, everything, and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this, who knew that that would be so fucking cool? It's like a, like oh a really God. awesome aunt or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's just the best. I, I'd love to hang out with her. And uh, to me, she holds like one of the that holds the title for one of the scariest things in cinema, and that was off of uh, Mulholland Drive as the. Uh, uh, for um, real. Yeah, I'm like, man, that shit. I there, saw that, that in the theater, there. and that scene, that scene petrified me. Everyone, there's something about it. It's brilliant filmmaking, you know, and it is truly, truly dreadful and horrifying. It's the shit out of nightmares, man. You know, it's like nightmare logic. Yeah, it really is. So, yeah, like I said, but yeah, dealing with her is really cool. She's like the nicest person. I'm going to have another talk with her when she's done filming The Nun, hopefully. Well, the, Nun, yeah. was it, the Nun 2, right? This is the second film, The Nun 2 right? is the one they're making now, yeah. I, mean, I think that's really fucking cool. Absolutely. Oh, the other film I was thinking of um, that's kind of tied to the Conjuring universe is Insidious. And first time seeing Insidious, dude, I was like, wow, this is great. And it's only PG-13 because back then I think I, it came out when I was uh, probably in my early 20s or whatever. And I was like, well, if it ain't rated R, you know, I don't want to see it. But um, Insidious changed my mind on that. I thought it was a fucking brilliant film. I, I love Insidious. You know, I love the the lipstick face demon. You know, that's one of the ultimate jump scares. You know, and just the idea of this other world. You know, yeah, it, it reminded me of Poltergeist. And it reminded me of that Twilight Zone episode called Little Girl Lost, where, you know, this this girl just kind of slips into another dimension. You know, mm -hmm. the the further really reminded me of that. And I, I loved it. Just the idea of this uh, sunless nightmare world, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, these, you know, hallways and liminal spaces. It, it was wonderful. Yeah. When, when uh, the Tiny Tim music came up, when he's sharpened his, like, claws or whatever, I'm like, oh, man, that is fucking terrifying. It really is. I mean, Tiny Tim was kind of terrifying in his own right, you know. Awesome artist and everything, but uh, pretty fucking scary for his time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's Joseph Bashara who, who plays that character, and he does some of the other characters in Sidious, and he's also uh, mainly known in horror for the, the soundtracks he, he composes. He does all the, the soundtracks for Insidious. 
No shit. Well, he's got good yeah. taste and hell of a uh, hell of a work on the soundtrack because that soundtrack is great. It sure is. Um, speaking of new stuff, I don't know if you've seen. I'm I'm sure you've seen it, but uh, today I finally watched X. Oh yeah, I did just watch it. You know when it uh, finally started streaming, I, I thought it was fantastic. You know, if I hadn't known going into it, I might not have put two and two together. That uh, um, I don't know if it's a spoiler that um, uh, Mia Goth plays two roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's not a I guess it's not a spoiler because it doesn't yeah. say anything about the plot. You know, maybe other people would would you know like to know too. She plays her her uh, character who's her own age, and she plays the old woman who's like in her eighties. And yeah, it's just it, it didn't the the it looked all practical. It didn't look like they used any CGI, but it didn't look fake and rubbery either. And the the yeah, it was awesome. Great flick. Great movie. People should definitely check that one out. Yeah, I think uh, a big thing with that one to kind of cover up the old age makeup and stuff was the like uh, use of shadows and how dark it was filmed. It really fucking yes. helped all that. It made it so goddamn creepy because today was the first time I've I've watched it. I just got finished watching like two hours ago. I was like, God, it, it blew me away. I'm like, this is so fucking good because a lot of my friends recommended it to me. You know, they're saying, well, this is kind of what, you know, the Texas Chainsaw remake should have been. This is more Texas Chainsaw than that. And I got to agree, it definitely has that feel of a Texas Chainsaw film. Yeah, it really does. You know, obviously one of the main influences, but both aesthetic, aesthetically and, you know, um, you know, that with, with the tropes they've set up, you know, the the 20 something characters in the van, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of similarities. You're correct. There's a scene like it's uh, to me, I think it's like shot for shot from um, the first Texas Chainsaw when uh, uh, Mia Goth is running out the house, waving her arms and um, she's running into like the field or whatever. I'm, I swear that's like a, a shot for shot from Texas Chainsaw. I may Probably be wrong. Is. Uh, it's got to be a homage to it, you know. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the, you know, shots where she's just in that foyer when she comes inside, you know, when Pearl's showing her the pictures, that reminded me a lot of Texas Chainsaw too. You know, both the original and the remake, you know, there's that like, you know, you come in and you're immediately in a hallway with stairs on one side and, you know, dark hallway on the other. Great shit. Yeah, I was super impressed. That's so far one of my favorite movies this year. You know, oh, X, X lives, up to, lives up to all the hype I've been hearing about and stuff. Because biggest thing I hate is when I check out a film and it doesn't live up to all the hype, you know? Yeah, well, you got to be careful of hype, you know. And as a journalist, I always was sensitive to that, you know, because, you know, I loved Hereditary, but I feel bad. I feel like maybe I hyped it up too much when I wrote about it and people were expecting, you know, something else. And, yeah, I, I hate giving people false expectations. Right. That that's kind of like me with Mandy, but Mandy has a really good following and people understand it, you know. Because so uh, Mandy, I, I recommend to fucking everybody I meet, and I I kind of judge him like if you like Mandy or not, you know what I mean? Like I, I can kind of judge some of your characteristics if you don't like Mandy, you know what I mean? Like I can I get a better totally. feel for you. It's like okay, we're in the same like place here you know so if you like man you should check out you know beyond the black rainbow and all that kind of stuff i have yeah i've seen that too and you know uh, there's the same sort of like cosmic horror uh you know not quite reality vibe going on in deeper than hell if i may be so bold as to you know draw the conversation back to my book in in that sense you know if if you liked mandy and you liked beyond the black rainbow i think you'd like uh, aspects of deeper than hell you know that have to do with you know the sort of telescoping of realities and um you know, the inclusion of, of psychedelics 
you know, into, into the storyline, you know, so if those movies were, were up your alley, then you, you probably like deeper than hell. You should pick it up when it comes out on June 14th. Oh, I certainly on Amazon. Right on. Are you doing an audiobook version of that as well? Or? Yeah, the audiobook is currently in production, and I think it's going to sound great. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta learn the the narrator's name because he's doing a bang up job. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, my book is written in a first person narrator, and he's got a, a really great kind of snarkiness to him that fits the the character so well. I can't wait to to hear him uh, deliver the entire thing. That's killer. Yeah, I'm a big fan of audiobooks because when I'm at work. You know, I work outside and stuff, so I have time in my truck or I just throw my headphones in if I'm doing something outside and stuff and throw an audiobook in. I, I think they're the best. I'm getting hooked on them, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, in Cyclopocalypse, I mean, that's one of the tent poles of that, you know, publisher. You know, they, they pretty much do audiobooks for all of their uh, releases. So, you know, check them out. Uh, some great narrators working for them. Do they, um, does all the like, audiobook stuff go through their website or do they, like, kind of throw it off on, like, like Scribd and, you know, sites like that? or I think it's all on Amazon. Okay. You know, you, you can go directly to encyclopocalypse.com. They do sell a lot of their uh, uh, books directly on there as well, if I recall. But, yeah, you know, definitely uh, check them out, encyclopocalypse.com. It's a little treasure trove, you know. It's a great site. Yeah, and they're getting bigger. Like when I got that Wishmaster book, like I think they were kind of just getting rolling, you know, and I've just seen them expanding in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's great to be part of this, you know, organization, like right as it is, you know, blossoming, as you've noticed. You know, I think it it can be a, a great, you know, long lasting uh, uh, imprint for horror. And I, I hope people will check them out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get a couple of my friends on this who also run a another really killer hard podcast called the necromaniacs podcast. Uh, my friend, uh, Mike Hill kind of heads that up. He's in the metal band tombs. If you ever heard of tombs before. I have. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the lead man on tombs and stuff and he's a fucking hard head. And, um, yeah, he would definitely enjoy this. He would definitely enjoy your book. Cause we're both in a, like a Lovecrafty and like, you know, sci-fi horror weird shit, you know? Yeah, well, tell him about me and uh, have him pick up the book and, you know, hit me up if he wants me on his podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, I definitely do that with um, with Mike. I'm cool. sure he would. So. He's on tour right now with Origin and stuff, so which nice. is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mike's a great dude, man. He's uh, one of my inspirations for even starting the podcast because, like I said, before I did this, I was just writing reviews on a website. I just got done doing band stuff for 18 years, and I wanted, I'm kind of doing what you do there, you know, just kind of switching up a little bit, trying something different. There you go. So, it's great. Uh, nice. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's really exciting, you know, uh, to to be new uh, at something again, you know, at my age. But uh, I love it, you know. And you know, being in this, you know, horror literature community now that I'm kind of like sussing out, it's really exciting, you know. And I'm doing a lot more reading now than. I was doing when I was strictly kind of, you know, focused on films. So I just feel like my mind is really expanding and my creative juices are really flowing and uh, yeah, I'm really into it. I, I hope I'll be known for, you know, I was known for, for journalism and for being a journalist for 10 years. And now I, I hope that I'll be known as a, a guy who writes really cool books for at least the next decade. Yeah. I, I think that's fucking awesome. I'm sure you will, you know, I'm sure to get out there and fucking spread like wildfire. So I appreciate it, man. I'm knocking on wood though. Um, do you have any favorite uh, authors? I know you mentioned uh, Clyde Barker and uh, Burroughs. Anybody else that are your favorites just to read? 
I mean, uh, recently I've been reading um, Max Booth the Third. I read Maggot Screaming, uh, which was a great, fun uh, body horror zombie novel, uh, kind of a um, absurdist almost, uh, really gory. Um, I also just recently read The Ruins by Scott Smith. You know, they made the film out of that in, in 2008. But I'd always heard that the uh, the book was even more grim and, and nihilistic, so I had to check it out. But um, you know, uh, your your usual suspects, of course, you know Stephen King. You know, I've been reading him since high school. You know, I love the way he's changed as a writer. You know, from starting out doing things like Carrie and Christine, and and then moving into you know more serious psychological horror like Misery. And, you know, the fact that he's still real into to fantasy, his whole Gunslinger series, you know, I, I love that he can kind of pop all over the genre as well. And now he seems to be really uh, embracing, you know, uh, detective, hard-boiled, noir uh, subject matter. I, I just think it's great. I love how he's ever evolving. Yeah, he he, just, he does it all, man. He, like I say, he does the horror genre, he does sci-fi, he does fucking true crime type stuff. Like, he's all over the place, and it's always pretty damn good, you know. Like the whole uh, Dark Tower series was fucking amazing. It took me uh, two years or so to get through all of them, but what a journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, right now I'm like half reading a couple different things. I'm reading uh, Parachute by Holly Ray Garcia. I'm reading uh, The Worm and His Kings by Haley Piper. So, you know, just really trying to to catch up and, and familiarize myself with, you know, not just the, the yesterday's greats, but the, the people out there right now who are, are moving and shaking. Yeah, most definitely. Out of the, like the new stuff I've been reading, man. Um, I don't know if you've read the actual novel or the ritual. I haven't, but I've heard it's great. Dude. It, I mean, the movie was cool on Netflix and everything. It, it was what, you know, it was great for what it was, but the novel like is far superior, man. Um, Adam Neville is fucking brilliant. And um, especially if you're a metalhead too, like the ritual like ties in directly with the black metal. And um, nice. he definitely knows his shit about black metal, the references he makes and stuff like that. So like if you're a metalhead and you love horror, like the ritual is a must read. Well, I definitely will do it then. Cause I, I love actually reading books that I've already seen the movie to and love the, the movie. Sometimes if you read the book first, the movie's just going to be condensed and it's, you know, going to be shorter and it's not going to be what you fell in love with. But if you love the movie and there's a book about it, I think it just it expands your appreciation of both, you know? So I'll What's definitely that? check out, I'll definitely check out the ritual. And but, it's a, but also, it's a, you know, uh, I, I read, um, you know, Lords of Chaos, that nonfiction that then they made the movie out of. I'm mm-hmm. big on big into metal. And I love uh, the fact that there's this metal movie that came from a book. And, you know, I love that whole, you know, crazy uh, Scandinavian scene. You know, it's like a time capsule. Yeah, I, I haven't read the book, but I did kind of enjoy the film. A lot of people hate the film. But I thought it was pretty fucking entertaining, you know. I love how it even says from the the beginning that it's based on truth and a bunch of lies, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the the, the metal and um, hard mashups. You know, I think that's like the best because it goes together so well. Absolutely. And Rory Culkin, I think he was great. You know, I think he's a great actor. Yo, yeah, same here, man. He played that part super well, like, and he looked the part, too. I mean, he was super, really like, did. yeah. I was impressed, so I like that. We need more uh, black metal horror movies, which there's some comedies out, you know, I can't. There's that New Zealand one that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, Deathgasm. Yeah, Deathgasm. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I like that. The one that was on. 
There's one on Netflix. I forget what it's called. It's just out now, but it's about like this school band. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I can't believe yep, I'm blanking on it. I can't remember the name for shit, but I watched it with my wife and we both liked it. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, it's not bad. It's not hard or nothing, but it's still kind yeah, of fun. Yeah, but it was still fun, you know, and it was great to see, you know, extreme metal like being portrayed as something that's, you know, cathartic and healthy for a change, you know? Yeah. I wish I could remember the name of it. I was look it up on my phone, but I don't even know where to start with it for the fucking name for that. <laughs> You'll have to like edit it in here somehow. The name yeah. of the movie I'll put is it in the show notes or something. There you go. There you go. Also, another author. I don't know if you've read. I I just got done with this book and I'm super super impressed by it. It's uh, you ever read Nick Cutter's stuff? I haven't. What did he write that you just read? The Deep. Okay. Dude, yeah, it's a total like. Uh, I, I wrote up as a Hellraiser meets meets uh, Event Horizon underwater. That's what. Oh, this is. fantastic! Yeah, dude, it is so fucking good. There's even some uh, Lovecraft elements in there too. You know, not heavily Lovecrafting, but there are some elements of it there. But it really has a a, a Hellraiser feel underwater, though. So like, that's like goddamn. Like some of the imagery is like super grotesque, super fucked up. Nice, nice. Yeah, you know, the, there's one chapter of Deeper Than Hell, if I may be so bold as to steer back, is a total homage to uh, Clyde Barker and, and specifically Hellraiser. It basically uh, uh, features this cult of wannabe Cenobites who are just taking, uh, you know, sex and drugs and uh, uh, body modification to really uh, grotesque and irreversible extremes. So, you know, I, I love, you know, Clyde Barker and, you know, I, Deeper Than Hell also has uh, Lovecraftian elements, kind of like how you were just mentioning in the deep where, you know, they're there without kind of like overshadowing the whole thing. That's kind of how it is with Deeper Than Hell as well. It's almost like Lovecraftian elements and aspects are mentioned and acknowledged without really being major forces in the work. But, you know, you're writing something about cosmic horror. You almost have to acknowledge, you know, that that realm exists. And I love the fact that, you know, uh, Cthulhu and that whole mythology is, you know, uh, a public domain now. So you actually can, you know, make Cthulhu a character in, in your fiction. And, you know, that becomes part of the the expanding universe of it. Yeah. And it always makes things better. Yeah, I think anyways, <laughs> have Cthulhu and something like that I mean, makes it better. Just just knowing that the Elder Gods exist is really terrifying, you know? Right. Yeah, so just kind of acknowledging up. acknowledging that world and knowing that there's a whole you know uh, a mythos created you, know, you you just have to mention Cthulhu you just have to mention the elder gods and it invokes so much instantly right um and your novel is there like a a, a big bad in it you know like a, the main like dark force enemy you know or anything like that uh, or tons or of them <laughs> oh, yeah no th- there's not really one you know uh like i told you like, e- each chapter was kind of meant to be self-contained and it's a constant journey downward so there there are really like six or seven main settings throughout this whole thing as well so not only are you going to different worlds you're, you're meeting different populations at each level and there there are some really really big bads uh you know there's this uh mad scientist wannabe cenobite called dr hopnadel and he has uh, uh syringes coming out of his fingertips you know from these like modifications he's made and he has like really old school um like metal syringes actually embedded into his skull so he can like shoot chemicals directly into his brain into different areas of his brain you know he, he's one of my favorites 
but there are a ton of, of these crazy kooky characters you know I, I can't wait for more people to read it and then people who are artistically inclined i'd love to see what their minds conjure how they would interpret some of these baddies i have because there are a bunch of them that's killer and did you have um who did your um illustrations for the cover I'm not, that's christian have- francis christian francis he's part of the encyclopocalypse team he's one of the writers uh, and he's also a, a graphic designer an extremely talented graphic designer i'm glad you mentioned you know the the cover because it it kind of reveals more as you look at it um, and I don't mind giving it away. Like, you know, when you look at it, you kind of get this sense of, you know, depth and something. But what it actually is, it's it's a view from inside a syringe. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the syringe is basically filled with hell. It's amazing how he took just these poor concepts and uh, created something that really does uh, pull you right in. Yeah, dude, I love catchy artwork. That's a big thing with like VHSs and stuff, man. Like the artwork back in the day would really pull you into that movie. Even if the movie sucked or you didn't know much about the movie, at least go buy the artwork and like have a good chance of enjoying that movie because, you know, artwork's fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the artwork is so important. That's another thing I love about, you know, Cyclopocalypse. All of their books just look so damn good. I just love them. Yeah, it's super collectible too, man. Like, that all goes into my collection DVD, Blu-ray, novel pile I have. Like I keep all that yeah, shit. Yeah, they're so collectible. You know, I've been picking up the new ones. You know, the, that are being released ever since I, you know, joined the clan. So you know, I love it. And my collection of Encyclopocalypse books are growing. And you know, I hope people will add my book to their collections. Oh, I'm sure they will, man. Like I'm, I'm excited for it, and I'm definitely want to get a copy as soon as it drops. And you said it drops again in uh, June 15th. June 14th, June it'll 14th. be available. Uh, it's available now to pre-order for Kindle, but you can't pre-order the paperback until I think just a day or two beforehand. So, you know, maybe check it, check for it on, you know, Monday, June 13th, uh, because I think it, it should be available to order on Amazon by then. And they only do, uh, they don't do hardcovers, do they? Or what do you mean? I mean, like, the other oh, hardcover. Like, yeah, hardcover uh, editions or... Yeah, the, there's not going to be a hardcore for this run for the, the initial release. But, you know, it's worth mentioning that I've got a second book coming out there in Cyclopocalypse this year. Nonfiction. It's going to be a collection of all the interviews I did over my years at Dread Central. So that's going to be more of a more of an extensive tome, uh, almost like a reference book. It's going to have an index and that will most likely be released on hardcover. So, you know, uh, there are some some Encyclopocalypse books that are available on hardcover, you know, especially when they're more extensive. Uh, but, you know, for, for now, Deeper Than Hell is not an extremely long book. It's it's lean and mean, barely longer than a novella. So it, it, paperback's perfect for it. And I, the fact that it's anything physical is just so wonderful in this age where, you know, everything's getting co-opted to streaming. You know, uh, I, I just love the fact that I'll be able to hold my book in my hands. No, that's fucking killer, man. I, I still love physical media, and it just holds that much more value now, especially with all the streaming stuff. Everything's fucking digital, this, digital, that. You yeah. Know? I, I mean, I've got thousands of DVDs and Blu-rays. You know, I, I love my physical media. You know, I feel like it's just so important, and I don't feel like I own it when all I have is a digital version of it. You know, it, it just seems to just become part of my computer. But when you yeah. have a when you have the actual physical manifestation of you know, the, the story of a book or a DVD just feels so much more profound. Um, have you heard of the 
company that does like the reissue VHS stuff, Broke Horror Fan, Witter Entertainment. Have you heard of them? Hell yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? Them. I think the guy's name Alex. is Alex. He, he's yeah. great. You know, he, he does the whole thing himself and uh, he's fantastic. I love Broke Horror Fan. I got a whole fucking collection, like big bucks, VHSs. I had to fight my way to like get a copy because, you know, when they go out, like when they go live, they get sold out in like 30 minutes. So well, he only makes <laughs> like a few hundred of each one, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, he's great. One one of the ones he did was Antrim, which is another movie that I, I love from the past few years. I don't know if you saw Antrim. Yeah, I've seen that one yet. Yeah, I love that film. Yeah, it was definitely a, it had a different feel. And then that, the whole rumor or, you know, not rumor, I guess, was like a tagline they're using that this movie was real, you know, real curse right. and all that shit. I thought that was fucking cool. Well, I saw it at a film festival where they actually made you sign a waiver. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. For for those who haven't seen it, who are listening, Antrim was billed as this movie that could potentially curse you, you know, and, and they were so serious about it that people who had seen the movie had genuinely uh, committed acts of violence against themselves and others that they made you sign a release. I love those stuff. It's just That's killer. I didn't get the VHS of that one, though. That was sold out before I could get to it, but um, oh, I'm happy I, I have my baby, so... <laughs> Well, that film belongs on a VHS version more than anything else. And it's almost good that they only made a few of them because the, the, it's supposed that the whole concept is that this is lost media, that you would have to dig it up somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, the VHS has its own magic to it, to the way it looks, you know, it like it hides like flaws that a lot of HD shit has nowadays. And I don't sure. know, there's a certain magic to VHS that I love. and I still love the way it looks now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and Antrim, you know, the fact that it's supposed to have been made in, what, I think 1979. So it, it's the perfect media because, yeah, nothing was, you know, HD back then. No. And the stuff that they do, like kind of, you know, redo and stuff and bring out the colors a little bit better. I mean, it's still cool and everything, but a lot of times I just prefer the original, you know, from back Me in too. the day. Yeah, absolutely. It's some, something scarier about that because it feels like you're looking at someone's nightmare or something that's you know not fully materialized. It, it still exists in a, a strange ethereal netherworld, you know? Yeah, I definitely get that feeling. Uh, I, I go on these YouTube searches sometimes for like obscure like 80s movies that you can't find on any streaming servers. But sometimes YouTube has it on there like a, somebody's unripped a VHS copy and it's up there. And like I just think that's like the best when you find a really killer film you forgot about. Hell yeah. So, all right well josh this was a uh, great having you on the podcast man I've yeah man it, it was great it was great talking to you i i love how thoughtful you are about you know horror and uh it, just some real smart dialogue going on here i appreciate you too well, i appreciate that and the kind words man and yeah i love horror like horror and metal are my thing so a lot of passion there <laughs> Those are some awesome things. Yeah, I'm contemplating going to the Ramstein show in L.A. in September. It's just 75 bucks for the nosebleed seats, man. It's killing me. But I think it'd be worth it for Ramstein, man. Like this Uh, might be the last two. Yeah, have you seen them before? I have not had a chance to see them. No. Oh man, I saw them uh, in Oakland uh, 10, 12 years ago when they were coming through for a Sleep of the Salda tour. And yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I think I am going to go to see them in September. Yeah, because a lot of these bands we want to see, like, they're getting older and stuff, man. Like, oh, this is their last tour. Like, I want to see fucking Danzig. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Danzig, this might be their last tour. I'm like, man, you know. Yeah, you never know. You never know, man. 
Well, Josh, I hope you have a uh, killer rest of your weekend, dude. And it was great talking with you. Great talking to you as well, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care.